we're just uh, really glad to be happening again and that you're all back. So um, we're really blessed. Uh, Scott's got a great message prepared for us tonight. And uh, as always, he is going to rock it. So would you give Scott a big round of applause? That's way too kind. He hasn't even heard what I'm going to say tonight. So uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Man, what a night. Could you imagine that song set when we have caffeine in our system? Oh, next week's going to be off the hook. It'll be awesome. Cafe Story, if you haven't been here, it's uh, right out in the foyer, and uh, they just basically charge you what it costs them to kind of make it and do all the stuff that they do. Uh, to make that caffeine amazing. So I keep telling them they need a chupacabra um, drink, but they won't do it. So um, I don't even know what that means, but I just think it's going to be awesome, and they won't do it. So I'm a little upset about that, but that's okay. Uh, Man, tonight is crazy. Um, I think I sat on a different side tonight, and I want to get a different view of uh, what happens normally for, I mean, how many years have I sat over in this area And tonight I shifted over here and I felt like I was going to be in a mosh pit. I mean, I love you guys, but these guys were about ready to tear me up over there. It was awesome. So um, I was a little scared. My back was going to go out. I don't know something happens, but um, life is great. And tonight, um, tonight I want to talk about this is secondhand recovery and secondhand Jesus. And I think so many of us, I know me included, is I settled for years on secondhand recovery and I settled for decades on secondhand Jesus. So you're going, what does that mean? So here's the deal, growing up, we all know what secondhand stuff is. We got secondhand stores all over the place, right? I remember my kids, I, I'm a pastor and um, we always didn't make a, a lot of money and so I've got five kids so when my oldest son, he was the only one that got like new clothes and then my daughter, and then everybody else got hand-me-downs. And it's interesting, there was people that would always be like, do you take hand-me-downs? So I, have, I got a kid that's a little older than yours, uh, you know, Mark, I just appreciate the fact you had so many boys and you could bless my kids with some clothes. I uh, thank you for that. But they never got to wear those new clothes. They never got those new clothes. They always had the hand-me-downs. They always had those second-hand clothes, which is great. It really filled the need. But it wasn't like the first time. Like I said, my wife gave birth to five kids, and she carried those kids. And I was never that husband that like, was like cuddling up to the belly and talking to it and kissing it and putting music on. I was never that guy. Like She's like, oh, do you feel this? And I'm like... It feels like, I, like when I just ate too much pizza, it just kind of like rumbles there. Like, I don't get it. I, but there was this reality is because here's the thing. My wife had an experience that was inside her carrying this baby, and there was no way that I could connect with what she was going through. I never had that experience, and I never will. But so many of us try to do that with our recovery And so many of us try to do that with Jesus. We try to have that same experience, but from a distance. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about the secondhand recovery. And we've got to be able to move from secondhand recovery to true recovery in our life. I mean, we try to stop on our own powers from doing so many different things. 
I mean, we got lots of groups here. We got an anger group, which tells me there's people that, I don't know how old we are. I'm 43, so I'll start there. And I still don't have a good handle on my anger. That's crazy. We have a compulsive overeating group that's 43 years and still struggling with overeating and compulsively overeating, eating my emotions. We have an abuse group that we still have ramifications and issues and PTSD and all these things because we've been abused. We have a chemical group for those that, that are alcoholics or drug addicts that, that struggle with that. We have a sex addiction group. We have a codependency group. We have a codependent to sex addicts, codependent to chemical arts. We've got lots of groups. And if you're here for the first time, I'm glad you're here. It was a good night, I think, for you to be here. But if you came in these rooms like I did on a losing streak, what that meant is I tried time and time again to stop. I tried a lot. Well, I've been going to some meetings, and there's this thing that they read in the meetings, and I just want to read this. It's out of the AA Big Book, and it says, here are some of the methods we have tried. Drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, never drinking alone, never drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never drinking it in the house, never drinking during business hours. Drinking only at parties, switching from scotch to brandy. Drinking only natural wines, agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job. Taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever. With and without solemn oaths, right? Taking more physical exercise. Reading inspirational books. Going to health farms and sanitariums. Accepting voluntary uh, commitment to asylums. We could increase the list Ad infinitum. And every time I read that, I go, holy cow. That's me. Except I switch it from beer and alcohol to pornography. Right? I'm only going to use magazines, okay? I'm only going to use, back in the day, VHSs, right? That's how old, right? I, you know, only, only this, only that. Okay, I'm not going to do it here. I'm not going to do it there. All this stuff that we do. Food. I'm only going to have one cheat day, and that cheat day happens to be a really long 24-hour period of time that extends into about six months. Right? Because that's the way it goes. I'm only going to have a little bit of ice cream. I'm only going to eat ice cream. I tried that diet. It was awesome, by the way. I'm just kidding. Don't do that one. I did have a friend I worked with at, at uh, Doctor's Hospital. Her husband did a month of only eating hot dogs. I was like, first of all, if you're going to pick a food that you're only going to eat, why hot dogs? Huh. Like, I dig a hot dog, but come on. Like, that's all you're going to eat? Whew. Mm, would not want to hang out with that guy. But anyhow, those are the things that we do. What are the things that you have tried? For me, even spiritually, man, I tried prayer. If I just pray, well, I, I, I slipped again, so I must not have prayed enough. Well, what about reading? What if I read every book out there on sex addiction? What if I read every diet book? What if I read every uh, compulsive overeating book? What if I read this? What if I read that? 
What if I just white knuckle it? I'm just going to not do it. I'm just going to do what everyone tells me. They give me that amazing advice called stop. I'm just going to stop. I can't do that. I cling to others and their stories, but I never experience that healing in my own life. I mean, I'll go to meetings and I'll sit there. And I'll listen to what they share. And I can kind of experience the joy and the recovery that they get. But I never actually experience it in my own life. Why? Because I want secondhand recovery. We have even tried to go through the steps. We've gone and we've joined a step study. And then we hit that fourth step and it's too tough to face. And so we drop out. Or better yet, we even make it through that step. And we get to the amends, and we may even do a few of the amends, but we stop before the miracle happens. We stop before we actually are able to see God really do miracles in our life. Don't quit before the miracle happens. See, we forget at some point in the secondhand recovery what actually brought us into these rooms. We forget what brought us through those doors for the first time. And if you're a first-time guest, you're one up on us because you know what brought you in these rooms tonight. You know. First of all, I realized that my life was 100% unmanageable. How many jobs have we lost because of our addiction? And maybe not direct correlation to your addiction, But for me, it was the fact that my addiction jacked up all these relationships and I did not know how to have a healthy relationship and therefore I lost a job or I I resigned from a job because it just became too difficult. My life was unmanageable. My marriage at home was tough. I mean, how do we manage kids? We can't. I mean, all the people that we have to control in life and I can't control everybody, and they just don't listen to me and do what I tell them to do, I mean, life would be so much better, right? I mean, we've even tried to play God in our own life and in the lives of those that were around. Maybe what brought you in these rooms is the guilt and shame. You couldn't bear it anymore. You couldn't cope with the shame that you feel. You couldn't cope with the guilt of what you had done, the pain you had caused others. Some of us, I'm gonna guess, more than 90% of us have had some thought of suicide in our life. That's crazy, but that's a reality. Some of us were forced to come because we gotta fill out a thing called the court card because a judge said you need to go. I'm not going to tell a story, but that's one of my mentors' story and the life transformation that happened because of it. I'm very thankful. Maybe you're here because your parents made you to be here. I don't know if there's any landing kids in here, but maybe they drug you here. Maybe your spouse drug you here. Those are the things that brought us into these rooms. I mean, we need to commit to the process and trust others and God to help us along this 
recovery so we can truly experience true, firsthand recovery. I mean, how many of us in this room have tried to sponsor ourselves? I mean, hello, that's insanity. How do we sponsor ourselves? What I think brought me into these rooms and I'm going to sponsor myself out of it? Huh? It doesn't make sense. See, I did the church game. I grew up in a church. I knew how to BS a good accountability partner. I mean, I played those games. I avoid topics. I use generic words. I throw down a Bible verse here. And I can skate if I never have to truly be authentic and real. I mean, how many times in our rooms do we say, hey, do you need a phone list? And we say, no, I got the numbers in my phone, but we never pick up this thousand pound phone and call somebody. We never do. And yet the practices that they recommend is to make phone calls throughout the day, at least three of them. Actually going through a full step study, doing the actual work not half-heartedly doing it. Actually being rigorously honest. See, and then, that's just recovery. That's just part of what I'm talking about tonight. If you guys truly want that experience, strength, and hope of what is shared in these rooms, in the open share, in your step studies, from the testimonies, from Scott and I, you gotta be all in. I mean, I was watching a TV show yesterday that had gambling in it, so sorry for those that are gambling addicts, but there's that phrase, I'm all in, and they shove the the chips all forward. In our recovery, we gotta be all in. We have to be. Because what's the alternative? Keep doing what we've been doing and only experience through other people recovery, and we never get that true experience in our own heart and in our own lives. And we need that experience from others. But not only secondhand recovery, but secondhand Jesus. So many of us, myself included, have chosen to grab on to flannel Jesus. And some of you that haven't been around the churches in a while or ever, that's totally okay. When I was growing up, they had this flannel graph, is what they called it, this felt board type thing, and they would throw up this Jesus, and he was like felt. And they had all these Bible characters and stories on there. And I love those stories because they told stories of Noah. They told stories of Moses. They told stories of of Jonah. They told stories of Abraham. And they had this flannel thing of Jesus. And they would tell these stories. And you could kind of imagine it and picture it. And I remember going through that Orangeburg Baptist Church and seeing that over there. And so many of us grab onto the stories of God, but we never let those stories really penetrate our heart. I mean, we love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing up for our faith and being thrown into the fire, and God saves us, but when have we ever done that in our own life? We wish that we were going to be bold. We wish we could be that leader that God wants us to be, like Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, and we balk at it at doing what God really wants us to do to become that leader, to be all in. And we love the stories, but do we ever really gravitate toward them? Or 
We love the stories of all the miracles. I mean, we love the stories when Jesus heals people. I mean, the fact that those guys, his four buddies, cut this hole in this roof and lower him down, and this guy's paralyzed, and he had these four friends, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk, and he walks. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> my back went out, and I was laying on my bedroom floor, and my wife has some stories she likes to tell about this, but I remember crying out to God, going, help me get up and walk. He didn't. I laid there for a couple days, then I had to go, go, go do some stretching, and that's how life is. We want to be able to see all these things, but yet, when it comes down to the fact that God wants to spit in the dirt, make mud, rub it on your eye, and have you go wash, mm, it's a little dirty, God. That's gross. Right? We don't want to go through the pain of death like Lazarus. So we can be resurrected by Jesus. We struggle with that thought. We want to be in the crowd and we want to see it and we want to gawk at it and we want to tell others about what God did over there, but yet we're scared to see what God may do in here and in our own life. Or yet we want to fix it, Jesus. We want a Jesus that's on speed dial that when I have a problem, I can call him and he will fix it. That TV show, Wreck-It Ralph, that movie, love that movie, but it's not Wreck-It Ralph. We want fix it, Jesus. We want him to come fix all our problems and then when everything's kind of copacetic and things are good, then we forget all about him. We don't need to talk to him on a day-to-day basis. We don't need to be in his word. We don't need to be praying. We don't need to be going to church. We don't need to be worshiping him. We'll go back to our ACDC, heavy metal, all that stuff, right? But Jesus is the answer, and that's truth. But it's not Jesus, and then I don't have to do anything. I mean, what's the answer to me finding freedom from pornography? It is Jesus. What's the answer for your issues? It is Jesus, and that's truth. But there's, there's more to that story than just that simple answer. That's a generic story, and we've got to dive deep into those things. I'm going to get there in a minute. I'm working to Scripture eventually, right? Scripture is truth, and it, 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 it rings loudly. Some of us hide behind sayings. We hide behind recovery sayings. We hide behind religious sayings. My dad had a boss, and, and this boss, every time I would see him, I'd go into my dad's work and I'd talk to him and I'd come in courtesy, how are you doing, right? Great question. How are you doing? Oh, I'm perfect in the Lord. Well, what in the heck does that mean? (laughs) Because I'm going, that doesn't match up to what I'm seeing and what's going on in your life. And sometimes we like to hide behind those sayings or yet we like to hide behind a Bible verse. I became a great chameleon and I could throw a Bible verse and I could spin the word of God to to meet my own needs and be able to hide and stay hidden and never truly be seen. And I'm not saying scripture's bad or, or the truth of that saying perfect in the Lord, but when it starts to hide us and not let us truly experience who Jesus is in our life, it becomes a secondhand God to us. And we need to experience who Jesus is firsthand. 
That verse that he just threw up there, and I've got a few more that I added that I didn't get to up there, but so I apologize. But it says this in James chapter 2, verse 17, a few verses before this, it says this. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Just simply saying Jesus isn't the answer. It's Jesus and following after him. It's doing those things that we need to do to follow after him that is the answer. It's not just simple faith. And I'm gonna talk about that where that does get us saved, but there's so much more to it. We gotta do our part. When Abraham brought up his son to sacrifice him, it wasn't just, okay, God, I'm gonna sacrifice him. He had to actually walk up the mountain. We actually have to walk the road of recovery. We got to do this journey. And then it goes to that verse, which is James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Later in verse 26 of chapter 2, it says, this, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You can't separate them. Just simply by how many stories I've heard from men that have sat in my office is I never knew my dad loved me. He never told me. Or if he did tell me, he never showed me. They go hand in hand together. They are two. They are both sides of the coin, so to speak. And we've got to have faith in works. We've got to be able to have that. I mean, Noah, what if he said, God said, build an ark, and Noah goes, okay, and then he never built it. He had to get out there for a week. Now, how many years did he actually take building that ark? That's a long, stinking time. I would have got bored. I would have I even had the frame. I would have got the wood cut down, and I would have been like, all right, God, I'm, I'm good. You got to finish the rest. I'm done. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What if they did all that and they got to the edge of that fiery furnace and they're like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna bow, I'm kidding, I'm, I'm good. No. What about Joseph? Who had faith that his son was the Messiah but actually showed it by following and being with Mary. I would have struggled with that. Many of you would have struggled with that. What about Peter jumping out of the boat? Now, I'm a good jump out of the boat guy, but usually I'm ready to swim. He walks on water. He had to put his faith into action. And the disciples to believe that when Jesus said, hey, in three days I will resurrect, and the fact that they doubted that, and then all of a sudden God was there. Or what about Paul and all the things that he showed his faith? Some of us love this first part of Jesus, but we don't like the persecution that may come with us following him. I mean, there's some, some of the toughest people I've ever met are in this room. I mean, street-wise, emotionally-wise, the toughest people are in here, but heaven forbid they think down upon us if we believe in Jesus, we cower. And that scares me. See, this is what Jesus promises to us. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. 
and, I, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I know I don't believe that. I still think I gotta carry that burden. Ask my wife. These last three months, she's been really worried about me. Because there's times I'm still struggling letting go of the burden and letting God be the one that gives me rest. I don't sleep well at night. I have nightmares all the time. During the day, I, I'm, I, can't, I can't do anything. It's, I, it's a struggle for me. And how many of us struggle with that? Truly letting God be the one that comforts us and truly believe that his yoke is easy. Luke chapter six, verse 22 says this, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and rival you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man, that is God. What in the world, we cower at that. We struggle with believing that. And yet God says, when people put you down because of me, then that is a blessing. Say, who's this real Jesus? Who's this real Jesus that we want? And what does he offer? I'm gonna tell you what he offers, but it first starts with with, uh, where we're at in this. Where do we stand? Well, Romans chapter three, verse 10 through 23. I'm gonna be moving fast, by the way. Romans chapter three, verse 10 through 12 says this. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one stands, no one seeks God, for all have... all have turned aside together they have become worthless no one does good not even one at our core we wouldn't be sitting in this room if we believed different than that Romans 3.23 says hey here's the the wages of this for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus What, we're, what we deserve because of our sin is death. Because we fall short. And that's what Romans 6.23 says. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> By us alone, we stand wanting. We stand falling short. We struggle. But there is somebody out there that can help us. And we go over that in steps two and three. There is somebody out there and that's Jesus Christ. And he calls us to surrender our life and our will over to him. How does he do this? Well, one, he shows us that we're loved and that we're worthy. Romans chapter five, verse eight says this. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God knew your fourth step. Everything you wrote and didn't write on your fourth step. God knows. And yet, he still died for you. And then he tells us that we're worthy of that death. In John 15, verse 13, it says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life for his friend that he would lay down his life for his friend, that God would deem us so worthy that he would die for us, that he would take on that sin upon himself, that we may find forgiveness. But what 
there's a simple way to get this gift. It's not that you have to be good enough. It's not that you have to be smart enough. Gosh darn it, people like me. (laughs) We don't have to jump through hoops. We don't have to make a task list of everything that we gotta do and don't do, the do's and don'ts of our faith. But no, we simply have to listen to Romans chapter 10, verses nine through 13. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. But there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no distinction between chemical addict and sex addict and codependent and codependent to a sex addict or... Uh, Compulsive overeater, there is no distinction between any of those because we're all found sinners and yet God died on the cross for every single one of us. And if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we will be saved. God restores us to salvation. He restores us to a relationship with him. That thing that has been separate, that thing that you've been wanting forever. He says, I can give you that first-hand experience with me. All you got to do is believe and confess. The question is, are you going to do it? He can restore us back to sanity. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've had been at war because you can't serve two gods. And here's the thing, when we're living that life, we can't be following after him. But when we believe and confess, we now have peace with Jesus. And I love the fact that I know Scott uses that verse a lot. And it's sunk into my heart. And I love it. Romans chapter eight, verse one says this, there is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no condemnation. That guilt, that shame can be left at the doors as you walk in because there's nobody pointing a finger. It's not like when we walk into a store without a mask and people go unclean, unclean. <laughs> or back when they have leprosy and they would say unclean, unclean. But instead, they accept us for who we are. Romans 8, 38 and 39, this is the last verses I wanted to share with you. As for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is truth. So tonight, I'm gonna ask you a question. And I don't want you to respond right now, but in a minute, I'm going to. Is if you want a first-hand recovery instead of a second-hand recovery, are you willing to be all in? If you want a first-hand Jesus instead of a second-hand Jesus, are you willing to confess and to believe and be all in in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have you guys close your eyes, bow your head, 
And that's basically so I can see and nobody else will, will, will see. That's pretty much what it is, right? And there's always those that peek. No peeking, man, right? But hey, if you wanna do those things tonight, if you wanna be all in in your recovery, will you please raise your hand? Maybe you've been playing the game and you wanna be all in, raise your hand. I see those hands. Thank you. You can put those down. Maybe you've never fully surrendered everything to God, whether it be your life or your will, and you want to do that tonight. Will you raise your hand? Thank you. I see those hands. Let me encourage you to turn your life and your will over to God. I'm gonna close our time with prayer and then we're gonna close it out totally with the serenity prayer. But if you wanna, if you raise your hand to that second question of never believed in him, and you just kind of repeat in your heart these things, I would encourage you to do so. Dear Lord, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for helping me acknowledge the fact that I am a sinner and that I need you. Lord, I admit that I've wronged you. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins and you took that penalty for me. And because of that, I may be saved. Lord, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Help me to the best of my ability to follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand, and we'll close the serenity prayer. But before we do, if you raised your hand to either one of those questions tonight, and you got a sponsor, go tell your sponsor. If you got accountability partners, go tell your accountability partners. If you don't have either of those, Come talk to one of your TAM members, one of the leaders around here, Scott, myself, Susie, Tracy, uh, Josh. I'm forgetting somebody. I'm missing them. Sue, there's lots of us are in this room. I encourage you to do so. If you don't know who those are, come talk to me. I will be around at dessert, so that'd be a perfect time to do so. All right? Let's close the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Amen.